0: Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian. I'm on the phone with Ashvin. And today we are kicking off Sequel September with A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors from 1987, directed by Chuck Russell, written by Wes Craven, Bruce Wagner, Frank Darabont, and Chuck Russell, starring Patricia Arquette, Heather Langenkamp, Craig Wasson, and Robert Englund. In this film, with the help of Nancy Thompson, a group of institutionalized teens suffering from sleep deprivation fight back against the man who is terrorizing them in their dreams, who is, of course, none other than Freddy Krueger. If you're new to the show, we're going to talk about this movie without any spoilers for the first 15 or 20 minutes. But then after that, we're going to take a little break, play some transition music and come back in. Spoilerifically. So, we're going to run through the plot there, which will spoil some things and do our review. So, after you hear the transition music, the spoilers will be coming. And you could duck out and go watch this on HBO Max if you want to come back and listen to the spoilers later. Let's see. Patreon shout outs. Uh, Final Girl, welcome to our Patreon. Thank you for your support. We appreciate it. And I want to give a shout out to Henry, who I believe may be our youngest listener at age 14. Or at least the youngest one we've heard from. So, thanks for reaching out, Henry, and we're glad you're digging the show. That was kind of special, right, Ash?
1: Yeah, he's the one that sent that email.
0: Yep. Yeah. That was really nice. Uh, this is supernatural slasher. This is the third film in the Friday the Third, Friday Thirteenth. My God, in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Uh, to give new listeners some uh, perspective, I really enjoy this franchise. Ashwin has surprisingly, even given the first film, a bad rating. I believe it was a 2. Mm. The best we can all determine, he doesn't like fedoras. <laughs> uh, and I think some of the listeners who are on the Discord server are thinking this is Ashwin's last chance. If he doesn't like this one, he just doesn't like the franchise. Mm. So we'll see what happens
1: here. Stakes are high. It's crazy.
0: The stakes are high for this episode, yeah.
1: And, and uh, can you remind me, the second one, I know is pretty silly, and I, I get you like the first one. How, how did you feel about the second one again? I really like the second one. I came down on
0: it a little bit after our, our, our rewatch. Yeah. Uh, new listeners, I've also got a rant out there, a solo episode on Patreon where I go through the entire franchise giving a short review of each film. Hmm. And I ranked them, and I ranked them Nightmare on Elm Street original number one, Freddy's Revenge number two, at number two. Hmm. And number three at number three, I'm pretty sure, oh. when I ranked them. So th- these first three are your top Freddy films? These first three are my top Freddy films in order. Interesting. If I remember my original ranking correctly, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the way it shook out.
1: But you haven't seen Freddy vs. Jason? No, I've seen that. Oh, you have? Oh, okay. Is that included yeah. in your ranking?
0: Yes. Yeah, I included it. It's somewhere around the bottom. I'm not a huge fan of it. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, excited to be
1: going on, uh, through this with you. It's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you've hung on this long, so we'll see what happens. After. Depending on what happens after this, we will cover another movie from this
1: franchise, but yeah. where we go from here, I think, depends <laughs> on, on you. <laughs> on the outcome of this conversation today. Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right. The director
0: here, Chuck Russell. This was his feature directorial debut. Uh, though he does have some producing credits to his name before this, uh, which includes the 1981 slasher Hell Night starring Linda, Linda Blair from The Exorcist. The year after Dream Warriors, he directed the Blob remake in 1988. And he would then go on to direct some of the biggest movie stars in history. Six years later, he directed The Mask starring Jim Carrey, then Eraser in 1996 starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bless the Child in 2000 starring Kim Basinger, the Scorpion King in 2002, starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I Am Wrath from 2016, starring John Travolta. And then his most recent film, Jung Lee, in 2019 was a Bollywood film in a surprising oh. career pivot.
1: Wow, I totally didn't notice that. Yeah, kind of wild. That's crazy. I've heard of like actors and actresses coming from there into Hollywood, but not much the other way around. So that's uh, impressive for a director as well-known uh, who's got like such a big career as this guy doing an Indian film.
0: Yeah, kind of neat. It's funny, this guy's name wasn't very familiar to me, but I mean, I Same. I was pretty obsessed with The Mask as a child. I'm pretty sure I saw I The know. Mask and Eraser in theaters
1: when they <laughs> came just, out. I just watched Eraser like a few weeks ago. Uh, it was on Netflix and I was bored and loved like an Arnold classic. Um, I don't know, like none of those movies are like really good, are they? It's it's more a matter of fact of like they were blockbusters and they had like a lot of star power in retrospect.
0: Yeah, I mean, in fairness, I've only seen this, The Mask, and Eraser, um, so yeah, I'm not sure.
1: Um, how was what was what's the Eraser about again? Is that like time travel? No, that's uh, there's a woman who saw her company do some shady stuff, and Arnold Schwarzenegger works for this company that like erases people's identity um, and tries to keep them off the books. Uh, and yeah, this yeah this is really interesting. Had Vanessa something? Uh, as an actress who I forgot Vanessa about. Williams? I think so. Yeah, I think it was Vanessa Williams. Yeah. <laughs> Wait.
0: Oh, man. Uh, never mind. Let's just stop before either one of us <laughs> says anything too stupid. Uh, the mask was Oscar nominated for its visual no. effects. Really? Yeah. <laughs>
1: hmm For visual effects. Uh, yeah, that mask was it was kind of cool how it would like, cling to his face. You know, I think the visual effects, I haven't seen that movie in a while, but I wouldn't be surprised if they held up. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Back from the nineties. It wasn't the same people who did the visual effects on this film, was it? Uh, that's a good
0: question. I am not sure. I'm okay. not sure. Yeah. Um, I would guess no, but I don't I don't know. And isn't like the blob like a pretty significant film? I think the blob remake, there are a lot of people who think it's very good. I have never seen it, but okay. it has a lot of fans. I've from what I've heard it's pretty good. Is it considered horror? Yes, for sure. Oh, and I mean, the original was definitely a horror movie, too. It was like a monster movie in a way. Oh, wow. yeah. I moves. actually remember that being surprisingly decent the original, The Blob, okay. in the 50s.
1: That's awesome. We should check that out sometime. So he did like a few horror films back in the 80s, and then since then, kind of moved on to the other things.
0: Yeah, right. Okay. Um, and this is accidentally a Frank Darabont doubleheader, right? He directed The Mist, which was our
1: last episode, and he's a writer here. Oh, wow, I didn't catch that at all. That's crazy. That's, there's another misconnection too. Did, did, did you see the other one? I don't know if I caught the other one. Oh, Patricia Arquette, who was uh, the actress here, it's her debut film. She used to be married to Thomas Jane from The Mist. Oh, oh really? Interesting. Yeah, yeah, Wild. Yeah, I didn't see Vaughn's name on here. That's, that's cool that he was involved.
0: Yeah, kind of fun stuff. And then another writer, Bruce Wagner, uh, he's worked primarily as a writer, but he directed and produced, um, and perhaps most notably, his writing credit is on 2014's Maps to the Stars, which is a David Cronenberg film. Hmm. I've yet to see that one. Not a horror film from what I understand, but... okay yeah I think that that was all the like notable stuff I had about the creative team, but man, there's four people in the mix on this as far as the writing credits go. so mm-hmm. yeah, kind of wild. We can see how that works itself out in the plot and the script as we <laughs> review the film,
1: <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like uh, you said, oh, go ahead. Wes Craven, uh, I got the impression reading this that he didn't want this ever to become a franchise, but then, like seeing how bad the second one did. He came onto this one, and this was supposed to be the finale. He was like trying to wrap up this whole story, um, which that, that's kind of crazy that uh, this, this series could have ended like here, right?
0: Yeah, and we, it's not a bad place to end the story, I suppose. Yeah, um, that of course wasn't going to happen because this movie was pretty successful. It had a box office. It had a budget of four point five million and a box office of forty four point eight million in the U.S. alone. Uh, that's around 111 million in today's dollars, so 10 times its budget. Um, I saw something that at the time of its release, it was the highest-grossing independent film ever made. Wow,
1: that's incredible! And yeah. I think this was like New Line's first film released nationally, so it was a big deal for them as well. Yeah. Um, actually it
0: says it would later be unseated as the highest earning film in the franchise. Oh yeah. So this was the highest film in the franchise, but then point, yeah. the dream master number four was yeah. beat it be, probably because of the hype from this one. People were jazzed about this
1: one. Right. Right. And I think there's one more, right? Like this now is the third highest grossing.
0: Yeah. Freddie vs. Jason ultimately would top both of them.
1: I'm, I was really surprised to see that box office number because number two was so bad and uh, number two I think had a similar return I think it was like the budget was three million and it brought back like 10x that uh, I would have thought for like part three fewer people would have shown up because we've seen that with other films where like one of the sequels just like kills it and then you have like a lingering effect into the next movie but they quite a good show up for this one
0: yeah right yeah I mean, a lot of people still showed up for Freddy's Revenge even though it had some mixed reviews
1: at the time yeah yeah I guess yeah it did pretty well um, I wonder if part of it is like Wes Craven coming back on, because how involved was he with part two? Not at all. Not at all. Okay.
0: Yeah, he yeah. didn't really. He didn't want it to be a franchise, like you said. So he just laid
1: off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah interesting. Yeah. Uh,
0: let's see. We recently watched Robert England in our Patreon episode of Wishmaster.
1: Yeah, and I I forgot. I, I thought we also saw him in another new film that I feel like we haven't really mentioned yet on this. Choose or Die, uh, from what, well, like a few months ago. You and I caught that, right? Yeah, has-
0: yeah. At our our little uh, anniversary get together, we we watched Choose or Die, and he was had some voiceover
1: work in that. Yeah, right. And that was like the worst film. I thought we should probably mention that. We're never going to do that <laughs> film, right? <laughs> Pretty bad. He was also
0: yeah. in uh, Stranger Things season four.
1: Yeah. Did you notice him there? I did notice him. Yes. I don't. You mean- know who he was? Uh, I saw he's like credited as like Victor Creel, but isn't that the bad guy? Um, well, I don't want to spoil season four for
0: anyone who's yet to see it, but uh, the yeah, best. well, he's <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, but you re- you recognize him in the show? Yeah, I did. Is he in like just like one scene as Gamio, or is it throughout um, the series? I, I think seasons? it's across
0: like two episodes, maybe a hmm. few scenes. Ah oh, man, I will have to go back and see that if I remember correctly. Are you a fan of this guy? Hmm. I was I am. Yeah, I am. He was he gave a pretty underwhelming performance in Wishmaster. But uh I think he is, I think he succeeds as Freddy. I think he's hard to top in fact as Freddy, so that's why it's hard to see where this franchise will go from here.
1: And has someone uh else played Freddy in the franchise?
0: yes um oh my god i can never remember this dude's name okay and it's always embarrassing because it's a pretty popular actor he played rorschach
1: in Watchmen. he's got it's like a
0: haley joel osmond name where he's got three names yeah Um,
1: he was in the newer freddy's
0: he was in a nightmare on elm street 2010 the remake okay okay yeah
1: yeah cool i could see that um, yeah, I, I don't have, I'm, I'm, not like so bought into Robert Englund because I think all I've seen him in are these films and Wishmaster and Choose or Die. So my bar has been pretty low for him.
0: Gotcha. Um, there are nine films in this franchise. I think we've mentioned the first three already. Those were in 84, 85, and now 87. The Dream Master is the fourth film, 1988, did even better than this one at the box office. The fifth one is The Dream Child from 1989. Then the sixth one is Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare from 1991. Wes Craven's New Nightmare comes in 1994. Freddy vs. Jason in 2003. Then A Nightmare on Elm Street in 2010. Uh, I think if if you're not going to like this one, then I think the next place for us to go is Wes Craven's New Nightmare. It's a tonal, tonal shift. And that's from the 90s? That's from the 90s, yeah. Okay, cool. And then I think at some point we probably need to cover the remake.
1: Yeah, I'm really interested in the remake. That actually sounds really good. <laughs> Dude, I like that work guy.
0: <laughs> here's my prediction before we finish this episode. Right. You are still not going to care for this franchise at the end of this episode. <laughs> and we're going to go to New Nightmare, and you'll think, hey, that's decent. And then we'll watch the remake, which everyone hates. And you're gonna like it the best of the entire. I,
1: yeah. Oh, the remake is like pretty hyped up in my mind. Like everything you have described about it so far makes it sound awesome. So I'm really excited to see that one.
0: Yeah. So I'm gonna go on. I'm gonna go out on a limb and predict a two and a half from you for this one. Wow. I'm Damn. gonna predict a three and a half for New Nightmare and a four for the remake.
1: Wow. Okay. Okay. Interesting. We shall. I see. never
0: never predict your stuff, but I just I feel. Trying to get in that head.
1: I know. Oh man, that's. So and I know
0: you'll change it just to not give me the satisfaction.
1: <laughs> no, I wrote it down this time, so I can't. Uh, <laughs> I can't veer away. There are definitely some times where I'm like leaning uh, between a few numbers, but I felt pretty strongly about the rating this time, for better or for okay. worse. Okay. Well, speaking
0: of uh, rating movies, Rotten Tomatoes has this as a 72% from critics and a 68% from users. But all in all, I think most horror fans, people who would call themselves horror fans, like this a lot. They would put it near the top in the franchise. I think some people even put this as number one. I think it's probably pretty commonly set at number two on people's ranking of the franchise. Yeah, wow. The score here was done by Angelo Badalamente, Badalamente, uh, who scored a lot of David Lynch's films. He also scored the theme song, the iconic theme song, to Lynch's TV series, Twin Peaks. He also did many other notable films, Nightmare, or National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Cabin Fever, which I just discussed on Horror Movie Talk. Go check out Horror Movie Talk's episode of Cabin Fever. Uh, And the Wicker Man remake, another bad remake that we should cover on the show at some point in time. Is that Nicolas
1: Cage?
0: Yeah, I wonder if we should do like a bad movies month. Oh, yeah,
1: bad remakes. Maybe don't want to dedicate a whole month to it, but... <laughs> that sounds painful. Maybe a, <laughs> yeah. maybe a countdown of, like, the worst remakes.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. Could That'd be, be fun. Yeah. Uh, this movie also has its own theme song uh, called Dream Warriors, written and performed by the glam metal band
1: Dokken. Did you catch that in the credits, Ash? I did. Uh, oh, did it only play in the credits? I, I read about that, but I don't remember hearing it in the movie. Yeah, I think it only played in the credits. Oh, uh, okay. Is it pretty catchy? Yeah. I don't care
0: for that style of music at all, but for that little subgenre of music, it is a pretty catchy tune.
1: Okay, cool. Nice. I'll check that out. Yeah.
0: Um, so for this movie, Craven, who was involved again, he pitched an idea of a meta narrative where the actors from the original film were being stalked by Freddy in real life. A New Line rejected this idea, but then that would later become Wes Craven's new nightmare in 1994. Oh, cool! Yeah, his pre-pre Scream meta narrative. Um, S- John Sexton, who plays Nancy's dad, and Robert England also both submitted script ideas for this film. Uh,
1: but yeah, it's but, interesting to read some of those. Uh, like, yeah, pretty wild ideas. I mean, they, they weren't bad and. I think uh, like Robert England's, uh came up later in the future, right? Like in a script or something, or in an extra? I think
0: it came to fruition a little bit. They used a little bit of his ideas
1: in the TV series, Freddy's Nightmares, I believe. Ah, okay. Yeah. Got it. And even uh, Wes Craven had a much darker version, I think, of this film than what was actually made, which uh, surprised me, because I feel like he's been kind of goofy. Uh, around, like, like with the first one. So surprising that he'd like go pretty dark. It sounds like, I mean, it's not surprising
0: to me. I mean, he's, he's the guy who did last house on the left and yeah, uh, the hills have eyes like he goes pretty dark and gritty and disturbing, but he also did the first nightmare on Elm street. Remember that one? Yeah. I'm familiar. That (laughs) one's not as cheesy and hammy as it sits in your brain. (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) All right. I mean, it has a little bit of silliness to it, but... I feel like there was a disco scene where, like, some disco music's playing while Freddy's coming for someone. <laughs> Is that not right? Disco scene? Oh, man. Uh, one of the scenes... I just feel like some dance music starts playing in while, while he's, like, chasing one of the victims in a high school or something. Okay, D- I don't remember that. Oh, okay, maybe I All it. All right, it. Maybe,
0: you're, maybe you're right. Um, but, yeah, it was Chuck Russell that injected the, like, dark humor and some of the outrageousness that into okay. this film. Got it. Yeah. Special effects. It's a pretty special effects-heavy movie. Peter Chesney did the mechanical special effects. Mark Showstrom and Greg Canham did the special effects makeup. And Kevin Yeager did the Kruger makeup and effects. Cool. And any other background you want to share on this one?
1: I think you hit all the backgrounds. Um, you know what? One question for you um, for, for this franchise. So I was obviously like, you saw this at a, a young age and it was like pretty scary, right? Uh, like Incorrect. Movies. No, oh. I saw it for
0: the first time three years
1: ago. Oh, even like part
0: one? No, part one. But part one I probably didn't see till like my early 20s maybe. It's just like it okay. was weirdly the one I didn't
1: see of... Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, I always thought maybe this has a lot more nostalgia factor because, uh, if you see it as a kid, yeah, the idea of like someone in your dreams trying to kill you might be like really scary compared to like the Friday the 13th or Halloween where it's like a stalker or like a, some dude going around with like a knife or something, which feels like a more realistic scare as an adult. And yeah, I was just wondering like, so so you as an adult saw this and you were still like, thought it was like effectively scary, that like something from your dreams might try to kill you. Well, if you
0: listen to the Patreon episode I did on it, um, maybe you haven't yet. I don't it's think only I have yet. Yeah. Two or three years ago, asshole. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, was, I was getting around to it. <laughs> I was holding our second kid, who is now three. He could only sleep if someone was holding him for a while. So we would take shifts at night, and my shift was like three a.m. to seven a.m. So, mm-hmm. one week I decided to just watch this whole franchise between the hours of 3 a.m. and 7 a.m. while I held my kid. Oh, so, okay. in those wee hours in the morning, like alone in a dark room on a rocking chair holding my kid, it was kind of a special vibe. You know, it was a very, very horror movie vibe in the middle of the night, but also these become kind of an imaginative, playful series of movies and just kind of got me excited to share really like imaginative fiction with my kids
1: yeah yeah that's really nice it definitely has like a unique element like the yeah the imaginative and playful stuff like you never use those words with Halloween or Friday the 13th or a lot of other franchises right so that, that seems pretty unique here um but yeah glad glad that worked for you in that time <laughs> thanks <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully like and you feel like it still works for you like even watching this not holding a kid in the middle of the night. Well, we'll talk about that in the review. All right. Sounds good.
0: All right. Our Ohio connection. Every movie we watch is connected to our home state of Ohio by our good friend Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. If you're in the area, swing by for some delicious food and drinks. Alex says, A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors is a fantasy slasher film sequel reviving pop culture icon Freddy Krueger. Starring Heather Langenkamp, Patricia Arquette, Lawrence Fishburne, and Robert Englund as Freddy Krueger. Langenkamp is an influential figure in horror, noted for her numerous acting roles, as well as behind-the-scenes work coordinating prosthetic makeup. She was inducted into the Fangoria Chainsaw Hall of Fame in 1995. After her success in the Nightmare film series, she went on to star in many low-budget films in the 80s and 90s. In 1995, she starred in the Robert Kurtzman-directed superhero film The Demolitionist, about a murdered female police officer brought back to life to serve as the demolitionist, the ultimate crime-fighting weapon. Robert Kurtzman was born and raised in Crestline, a small town near Mansfield, Ohio. Cool. That's awesome. He directed sh- The Demolitionist? He did, and he directed Wishmaster.
1: Oh, yeah, right.
0: It's so <laughs> yeah. weird. This was yeah. this happened totally independently. Boudin hasn't even heard that yeah. episode yet. We were co- right. No one's heard it yet because we haven't released it yet. But yeah. we recorded it, and I was like, oh, I don't have Alex do connections for these because I don't want to bother him too much. But hey, Kurtzman's from Crestline, Ohio, and he yeah. somehow that's found awesome. this exact same one for this movie.
1: That's really funny. Crestline uh, sounded familiar to me, not Kurtzman. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's really funny. Like, why do I know that town?
0: Uh, that's good. I've probably said the name Kurtzman 20 times at least on this <laughs> podcast.
1: <laughs> on this podcast? Or on
0: Wishlist? Or Wishmaster. On this pod, like, throughout, over the years. At least oh, 20 wow. times. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah.
1: He's kind of a famous dude, right?
0: He's kind of a famous dude in the special effects makeup world. And actually, he worked on this film, too, as an assistant to Mark Showstrom. Oh,
1: really? Yeah. Wow. Okay.
0: Nice. Okay, man, let's uh, walk through the plot and spoil some stuff. But first, I think I hear my kid up in his bedroom. Uh, I think I got to go check on him, all right? Oh, sure. Go for it. All right, be right back. Hey, man, I'm back. Hey, everything okay? Yeah, yeah, he's having a nightmare, but I just told him, look, man, I don't have time for you. I've got a male suitor downstairs
1: on the phone that I really (laughs) got to get back to. Priorities, you know, these kids got to understand. He he was like, another one, Dad? (laughs) You're on a roll.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So we open with uh, some text on the screen. It's a quote from Edgar Allan Poe that says, Sleep, those little slices of death, how I loathe them. And then the film begins with our main character, Kristen, trying to stay awake while building a house out of popsicle sticks. Kristen is unaware of this, but the house she's building looks exactly like Nancy's house from the first film, 1428 Elm Street.
1: Were you aware of that at that moment?
0: Yes, I was. Oh, okay. I didn't catch that till later. Yeah. Her mom comes in and tells her she needs to get to bed. We learn that she's got a shrink and is suffering from some kind of sleep-related condition. We establish some tension between Kristen and her mother when her mother implies that she'd rather go attend to her male suitor downstairs than stay upstairs helping Kristen who's been struggling with nightmares. Kristen has a nightmare that Freddy is chasing her through a basement slash boiler room and a sequence of tunnels. She wakes up, heads to the sink, and we soon realize she's still in a dream because the sink knobs turn into Freddy's knived fingers and cut her. Her mom arrives in the bathroom to a scene that looks a lot like a suicide attempt as Kristen wakes up from the nightmare and she has a slit across her wrist. Uh, And as a result of this, Kristen is taken to an institution that seems to be for teens with insomnia and other sleep-related disorders. What did you think of this opening
1: nightmare sequence and the opening with Kristen and her mom? I liked it a lot dude the music here like hits you off the bat like it's really heavy ominous scary and sets like her doing the paper mache I thought that worked really well and then that first dream sequence uh, it was great you know like I feel like for the first time it was uh, taking Freddy seriously and like your first visual of him it's like the the focus of that dream it feels more like the haunted house that she's in and like trying to get out of um, and then like, he's just kind of like the shadow chasing her. So it avoids a lot of that goofy stuff that I feel like the previous movies had. And then, yeah, her mom catching her in like that cut being from a razor blade immediately like draws parallels around is this movie about like, or like, yeah, is Freddie like a metaphor for like teenage depression or something. And y'all get that mother and like generational kind of trauma or not trauma, but like generational uh, or like bad parenting theme, like right away in the beginning. So I thought it was a really good setup. What, what did you think? Cool. I'm,
0: I'm glad that you think that. I just can't think quite straight because you actually like it. Um,
1: let me gather my thoughts. <laughs> Same, man. I'm, I was stunned.
0: <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I liked it, too. So am I kind of hearing you say that you appreciated that there was some atmosphere as well to that, like with the haunted house type setting and stuff?
1: Yeah, way more than I've noticed before in the series. Like, it felt like uh, a lot of the focus was on just how scary this house is that she's walking through. Um, and this is a part uh, where she has the baby in her head. or no this isn't the part. Yeah it I'm is. Kidding. She's a, there's a little
0: girl in the house. She's trying to she grabs the girl and starts running so she's trying to carry her to safety in her arms.
1: Oh yeah, okay okay. And there are like those creepy kids hanging out outside the house. So yeah, just very atmospheric and uh really good setting. Uh and like yeah, it didn't feel like it was all on Freddy. It's like pop up and do something. Awesome. I'm glad you liked it. My one complaint with this, it feels nitpicky,
0: but it's so obvious once you see it. Once Kristen starts running, she's very obviously carrying a doll instead oh, of yeah. a little girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it
1: pulls you out of it?
0: <laughs> it pulls me out of it. At the end of the dream, she looks down and the little girl is now a skeleton. Yeah. Which could you could kind of use that as an, as an excuse. Like, oh yeah, it's not a doll, it's a skeleton, but it's still... Yeah. It hasn't gone skeleton yet. They're they're trying to get it to be a little girl. And I understand yeah. why for safety reasons they wouldn't <laughs> want a young Patricia Arquette sprinting through a dark tunnel holding a Yunker. small child. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. They could have made that
1: more realistic. They uh, could have uh, made sure. it more
0: realistic. I think back in the day when picture quality wasn't as good, especially like now you can pause... Uh, you know, digital version of a movie and see a very clear picture. Yeah. Back in the day, you were either in the theater kind of overwhelmed by the bigness of it all, or it was VHS and the picture wasn't good enough. So sure. Yeah. I think we've seen some films where the effect probably worked back in the day, but it's a little, yeah, it doesn't hold up.
1: Yeah. But I'm glad uh, to your point that they did show that it was a skeleton at the end. Yeah. But yeah, it clearly was a fake thing much longer than that.
0: It's interesting, this is not the first time that Freddy's tried to make something look like a suicide. If you remember Rod's kill from the first one in the prison. He sneaks a rope in and makes it look like he hung himself.
1: Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, that's a good point. Could be an interesting M.O. for Freddy. Just make things look like a... Yeah, right. Do, do, Do you remember any of that from the second film? I'm kind of drawing a blank, but any of the deaths look like suicides there? I remember them looking... The second film was more like... Murder and like did
0: Jesse actually do the murders.
1: Oh, yeah, right. He would show up. Oh, yeah, right. Right. Yeah Okay, the shower scene and stuff Yeah. hmm okay. But now at the
0: institution we learn that there is a wave of teen suicides in the area So we can yeah. probably assume Freddie's behind these as well uh, right. And we meet dr. Neil Gordon who seems to be the one mostly in charge of studying and working with the teens at the psychiatric hospital who are suffering from sleep disorders And we learn along with him that there will be a new staff member joining the hospital, and she's right out of grad school. So
1: Hey, oh, was it crazy for you to see uh, Larry Fishburne? (laughs) Larry Fishburne?
0: Yeah, Lawrence Fishburne is credited as Larry Fishburne in this film. It is wild to see a young
1: Larry Fishburne here. Yeah, yeah, it was cool to to have him on screen. Yeah,
0: and uh, I think he played his role very well. I thought so too. Yeah, he fit in really well into the film. I agree. Um, So when Kirsten's mom brings her here, the orderlies attempt to sedate her and she fights violently against being put to sleep. She clearly doesn't want to go to sleep because she knows Freddie's terrorizing her in her dreams. She's got a scalpel pointed at the staff. Things are not looking great. She's getting hysterical and starts singing this like lullaby through tears and wouldn't you know it, the new grad student who's starting her job soon arrives right here on this scene and it is our heroine from the first film, Nancy Thompson, played by Heather Langenkamp. And she manages to quickly calm Kristen down by finishing her little one-two, Freddy's coming for you, nursery rhyme. Kristen puts the weapon down and embraces Nancy like they've known each other their whole lives. Because they share a bond, I think that they... Kristen is in a place where no one believes her and everyone mm-hmm. thinks she's crazy. And then I think to be validated by somebody... Probably another young woman as well, really, uh, you know, was yeah, an emotional probably. moment for her.
1: I, I didn't see that, like her coming onto the screen. She's the one that, the first one ends, and it's unclear whether she actually survived or not, right?
0: She goes off in a car with her friends, and then the car looks like it's turning into Freddy, Freddy and consuming them.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't really knew I would ever figure out what happened to her, so I was blown away to see her pop up here. She made it. Yeah, good for her. (laughs) Uh, Dr. Neil takes
0: Nancy around the hospital to uh, meet the rest of the teens who will be our cast of characters. The teens include Philip, a sleepwalker. Kincaid, the resident tough guy. Jennifer, a girl who hopes to become an actress one day and habitually burns herself with cigarettes. Will, a nerdy kid who's into Dungeons and Dragons and uses a wheelchair as a result of a previous suicide attempt. Tarin, who's a recovering drug addict and joey who is the youngest of the group and does not speak that night at the institution Kristen has another nightmare freddy has taken the form of a giant snake and is attacking her and she calls nancy for help and nancy gets pulled into her dream together they fight off freddy and escape back to the waking world and nancy is amazed at Kristen's ability to pull people into her dreams which she says is something she's been able to do
1: ever since she was young this element kind of reminded me of Friday the Thirteenth. when you introduced that character with uh, the ability to move things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, was, like, was this just uh, just like a trope back in the day where like you do like these franchises and eventually you'd introduce a character with like special powers? Boy, that's a good question.
0: What year did that one come out? That was Friday the Thirteenth. Six. New Blood. Right. Yeah. I think that I think was right. seven.
1: Okay. Boy, what year was that? It's yeah. probably around the same year. Yeah, okay, maybe there's something going around and like giving people powers. Something in the water. Right, right. Okay. Um,
0: so let's see. Over the next two nights, Freddy continues to attack the other kids in their dreams, and this time more successfully, unfortunately, for our cast of characters. So Freddy leads Philip the Sleepwalker out the door of the institution. And up to a high tower across the courtyard of the hospital campus. He does this by cutting out tendons from Philip's arms and legs and using them as strings to control Philip like a puppeteer would a puppet. Joey, our speechless kiddo, sees Philip at the top window of the tower about to jump off the edge, and since he does not speak, he runs through the halls banging on doors to get everyone's attention, and they all watch helplessly from the window of Joey's room as Philip falls to his death. Ash, I mentioned this in our top five kills episode. I think it was one of my honorable mentions. Mm-hmm. So the listeners know I like it, but, um, I'm sure they'd like to know what the Freddy hater thinks of it.
1: <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was a really cool scene and like it went on for a good amount of time. Uh, pretty gross that like, it's like tendons are like being, or, or, or blood vessels or whatever. He's being like dragged by that. And then again, you have like the kill looking like a suicide to others, Suddenly, I feel like he keeps building on that theme of, like, is Freddy actually there or is, like, this uh, a commentary on teens and uh, suicide? So, uh, yeah, I had a really good time. Hey, at the beginning of this scene, didn't this kid who uh, dies, he wasn't the one telling Joey to, like, let him know if he, um, you know, like, even, like, kind of, if, if he wakes up or anything or if he does something in his sleep?
0: Yeah, they were supposed to be like have a system where they stayed up and watched each other um right.
1: but yeah why didn't that work out yeah i couldn't it was it almost looked like they were in different rooms uh cuz yeah i, I can't understand what happened there yeah i don't remember either now that you mention it
0: cuz yeah joey was supposed to be awake and watching him did joey fall asleep
1: not that i remember cuz uh, he definitely sees uh him when it's too late. Um, Kincaid sees him. F- yeah, from his window. Or, oh no, getting up. It's almost like he went to sleep in a different room or something. Wait a minute, no, the, the um... Oh, is that the other kid? Yeah, it's the other the, kid.
0: Oh. Will, Will the nerdy kid in the wheelchair, yeah. and Joey are staying up with each other. And that's how Joey sees the kid out the window. Because he's oh. staying awake, watching over
1: Will. Got it. Got it. Okay, okay, that makes sense.
0: All right, we yeah. got there. We got there, everybody. You can finish. <laughs> yeah. And you can delete that email draft.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I like that scene a lot. You, you, you still like that one? Yeah, like, it gave up. me
0: chills, man. Like, yeah, I, I think it's cool just because of the imagination behind it and the grossness of, like, yeah. being a puppet with someone's tendons. But then the fact that they're all standing at the window calling out his name and like you know the old trope of like sleepwalkers being hard to rouse like there's nothing they can do he won't wake up and they're just all helpless trapped screaming watching their friend about to die right and And then the way freddie like cuts it uh, yeah the tenants yeah i it reminded me too of the tina kill from the first one where rod's just looking on helplessly wondering what the hell is going on except
1: Uh, you know Multiplied by five is all these kids watch. Is she the one that gets like dragged onto the ceiling? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. That was, that was cool. Pretty wild. Uh, cool. Well, I'm glad you liked it.
0: Yeah. Good kill. The next night, Jennifer is in the TV room having even more trouble sleeping than usual due to what happened to Philip last night. She's watching Jaja Gabor get interviewed on TV when the interviewer turns into Freddie. She approaches the TV to try to determine what's going on when Freddie's arms and head emerge from the TV and smash her face into the screen. And Freddie says, Welcome to prime time, bitch, before killing her. <laughs> Our poor Jennifer, who always wanted to be an actress. Yeah. Um, did you like this one? It's a little silly. I mean, it's a classic quotable line that horror fans, I think, really love. Um, I think he he improvised it too, didn't he? He did improv that, yeah. That's awesome, I think it's it's kind of cool and has its place. I'm not in love with it, but it it fits the movie. What did you think?
1: it It grew on me. I, I liked the mechanical arms that popped out of the TV and his head. And I like that he wasn't wearing a hat this time. So was, anytime he's not wearing a hat is a plus for me. I pull, you got a little notebook and write a little check every time he's not wearing a hat. <laughs> exactly. All right, I can watch this scene. All right, <laughs> no hats involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I thought I thought it was cool. And then I, I actually I really liked uh, when they found her body and like it's just her hanging from like the TV, like her head's in it. Uh, that that was kind of a cool visual
0: that was kind of a cool visual and then there's like you know black TV debris below the TV mixed in with blood it was kind of gnarly yeah yeah at the funeral Dr. Neal sees a nun who he's noticed before at the hospital he noticed her one day but she seemingly disappeared this time he's actually able to talk to her and she tells him that only one thing can save the children the unquiet spirit must be laid to rest The nun then disappears on him again, and he's left to wonder what's going on. Dr. Neal's under the impression that the kids have a shared delusion about this boogeyman in their dreams, but Nancy is trying to convince him otherwise. She's been insisting that they put the kids on an experimental drug called Hypnosil that suppresses dreams. She takes it and thinks it's the only thing that has kept her alive all these years. She convinces Dr. Neal to host a group session with the kids where she tells them that the man in their dreams is Freddy Krueger. She explains that the parents of Elm Street burned Freddy to death for murdering their children and now Freddy is taking revenge on their children. She reveals to the gang that they are the last children of Elm Street. She believes that Kristen is the key to helping them defeat Freddy because of her dream powers to bring people into her dreams, and she tells the kids they all have a dream like a dream power of their own and they're all going to sleep now to have a group dream and try to access that power. And so begins what I might think is the hokiest part of the movies. Some people <laughs> might love it. The kids all discover their dream powers. So Will, our nerdy kid in a wheelchair, reveals his powers not only that he can walk, but also that he's, quote, unquote, the wizard master, which is like the equivalent of a dungeon master in this movie. They probably just didn't want to get have to pay to license <laughs> D&D. Or, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which means he can, like, shoot some green laser-type stuff out of his hands and has some ill-defined powers. Kristen reveals that she can do some kick-ass gymnastics in her dreams. Kincaid has super strength, and our drug addict, Tarin says, in my dreams, I'm beautiful and bad. Which <laughs> basically just means she has a mohawk and a couple of switchblades. <laughs> So, this what is like it,
1: some s- sound of music shit, wasn't it? <laughs> like, Ray <laughs> often stuff where it's like, children, what can you dream? Here? <laughs> what, what can you do in your dreams? Uh, yeah, this felt very like off vibe, but uh, I don't know. What, what, what do you, you think? You think it worked? No, I
0: think it's kind of cringy actually. I, I, <laughs> I feel like this hit better at like four in the morning when I myself have on very little sleep. Uh, I think it's a little silly. Okay, what yeah, did you think? I,
1: I, you know, uh, I, I, f- I feel like I've, I've found a lot of things in 1 and 2, like, offensively silly. This was silly, but I, I didn't find it as offensive. Okay. And uh, I felt like, uh, yeah, it kind of added uh, an unexpected dimension to the film that was unpredictable. All right. Uh,
0: so Joey, unfortunately, wanders off during this group dream and is captured by Freddy. When they wake up from the dream, they find him comatose on the floor. And when the hospital leadership finds out about this... They fire Dr. Neal and Nancy. Dr. Neal is then again paid a vision, a visit by this visit vision uh, by this ethereal nun, who reveals that the tower where Philip fell from uh, is a wing of the hospital where they used to house the criminally insane. She says the worst of the criminally insane were locked in here like animals. A young girl on the staff was accidentally locked in here for the holidays. She was raped hundreds of times. When they found her, she was barely alive and with child. She goes on to reveal that this child was Freddy and she calls him the bastard son of a hundred maniacs, which is, I think, a great, great little title <laughs> for Freddy. Yeah, yeah. That's some cool backstory. I, really interesting. I remember thinking at the time, having not known anything about the franchise, that that was really cool, like how they were expanding the world and stuff, I appreciated, right. and I remember thinking that multiple times throughout the franchise, where I was like, "Some things are a little silly, but I kind of like where they're going with Freddy's yeah. origin and the world they're creating here."
1: Right, because all we knew up until this point is that uh, what he messed with some kids in a at a school, or he killed kids at school, or what did
0: he. he do? Yeah, they allude to the fact that he's probably a sexual, like a pedophile and murderer. But oh, okay. Sometimes they're not very explicit about spelling that out.
1: Yeah, okay. Got it. Yeah, yeah. So, interesting origin story. Yeah.
0: So, the nun tells Dr. Neal that some say Freddy was murdered, but no body was ever found. The only way to stop Freddy is to find his remains and bury him in hallowed ground. So, Dr. Neal shares this info with Nancy, and she tells Neal that there's one person who might know where they can find Freddy's remains. So, they go to meet her dad, who eventually tells Dr. Neal where the body is, even though he puts up some resistance at first, Um, Nancy and her dad haven't been on good terms. It seems like they haven't spoken to each other in quite a while, ever since her mom died in the first film. Um, So Dr. Neal and Mr. Thompson go together to find the remains, while Nancy rushes back to the hospital after she learns that Kristen's been sedated. Nancy returns to the hospital and gets the surviving teens together to help her by joining together in their dreams to rescue Kristen. Kristen. They are quickly separated in their dreams, however, and Will's wizard master skills are fairly useless against Freddy, <laughs> who makes quick work <laughs> of him. Yeah. Taran tries to use her blades to fight Freddy after dropping the line, okay, asshole, let's dance. Uh, Freddy turns his blades into drug needles and injects Taran to death with them. And says, what a rush.
1: And says,
0: <laughs> hey, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think Taran is like the worst casting choice in the movie in my opinion. Oh, really? Why? I just I don't think she works. She's so awkward.
1: I mean, maybe that's the way it's supposed to be. Oh. Uh like with like how aggressive she is with like the other kids or uh just like that whole like punk kind of attitude back in the 80s. I just don't think she's a great performer. Okay. Okay. I think mean, it could have turned out really movie? differently.
0: I'm sure she's... Is anyone in this movie?
1: Good question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yes, there is one person who I think delivers a great performance. All hey. right. At the end, I'll reveal. Um, okay. <laughs> do you find it frustrating that their dream powers were just, like, useless? Or was it uh, kind of, sh- like... Satisfying in a weird way.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it it is. It is kind of frustrating, but also kind of expected. Because I I mean, you're in Freddy's world, and yeah, you may think you have like these powers that are going to help you, but uh, he calls the shots in these nightmares. So I almost thought it was kind of like a false sense of optimism on their part that, and, and it kind of made an interesting light of that earlier scene where it's like kind of like uh, they're exploring these powers and everyone's like kind of excited about this stuff. So it's kind of like taking all that and like poo pooing on it. So I, I was happy to see that all kind of like unwind and uh, turn out to be for nothing. Right. But were you were frustrated by it? A little bit, yeah. Because I mean, it it's. I'll
0: write more about it later, but it's kind of like a major part of the plot line, uh, yeah. that it
1: kind of ends up going nowhere. Isn't, uh, does it remind you of like part one though, where like Nancy stages this big thing, like home alone shit in her house to trap and kill Freddie. And we know like how that turned out. Like, isn't there just a theme of people thinking they can outdo him and it doesn't work? Right. Futile attempts. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, Maybe. Yeah, yeah, I just feel like we've come to kind of expect that uh, a little bit. For sure. That's fair. Um, So
0: our remaining heroes, Kristen, Nancy, and Kincaid, unite and find Joey, uh, who's like trapped and comatose. They manage to save him, but it's clear that Freddy is too strong for them to defeat. He tears open his shirt to reveal tiny faces in his skin that are the souls (laughs) of the children he's killed, which he reveals gives him strength, and that's why he's harder to defeat now. Uh, That was kind of
1: dumb, wasn't it?
0: It's a little dumb, but um, they they do it up even harder in like the fourth or fifth film with that. Um, oh, it's really? actually kind of cool. Uh,
1: okay, okay. I mean, I feel like he could have just said like, uh, "Killing people gives me power." He didn't need to see like their faces like screaming. <laughs> on I his don't body. believe you. Oh yeah? yeah, show me your chest. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um. So let's see. Where are we? So Neil manages to. Uh, Not Neil. Who's the... Joey. Joey manages to temporarily thwart Freddy by using his dream voice, which is just him yelling, but it's a big deal because he doesn't speak. Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, Nancy's dad and Dr. Neil have found Freddy's remains in an old junkyard where Nancy's dad hid them decades ago. Freddy's skeleton comes to life and kills Nancy's dad, but Dr. Neil is able to pour holy water over the skeleton and the ground where he plans to bury Freddy. In the dream world, Nancy sees her dad approaching and telling her he's crossed over to the other side. He embraces her and then reveals himself to be Freddy and stabs and seemingly kills Nancy. He then goes to attack Kristen, but Nancy gets up, shoves his own glove through his torso. And this is happening about the same time as the Holy Water. Uh, And so as Dr. Neil peppers Freddy's skeleton with the Holy Water, uh, we see dream world Freddy be like, Punctured by beams of light as he's facing off the kids uh, and this finally defeats him Kristen manages to return the kids to the waking world where she cradles Nancy's dead body in her arms and weeps saying I won't let you die I'm going to dream you into a beautiful dream forever and ever what did you think of this? whole little ending uh, sequence
1: oh you know uh, I, th- I thought it it got silly sometimes. I, I I mean, I liked how it played out and I'm glad like Nancy got killed and we had a loss of like a character we were emotionally tied to. Um, I thought the the graveyard, or not the graveyard, the junkyard scene uh, was kind of cool when like the buildup with the cars and stuff turning on and stuff. Mm, right. uh, but then when the skeleton popped out, I thought that was a little zany. Uh, were you, were you, what did you think? Did that work I- for you? I agree. The skeleton looks a little silly once it starts moving all over the place and fighting. Yeah. Yep. Um, but I, I liked uh, the way Freddie died and in the context of this potentially being the end of the franchise, I thought that was like a really fitting way where it's like, uh, he, uh, murders himself. Uh, or no, sorry. Nancy kills him, but he kills Nancy. It's kind of cool. Did you mention the reveal on the mother? Um, no. How did I? Oh, uh, that happens at the end. I guess I yeah. haven't, there's a oh. scene
0: tacked on here. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, um, so, so the film ends with a funeral uh, for the kids, and at the funeral, Neil sees the nun walking to a tombstone where she disappears. He goes to the tombstone, the inscription says, Amanda Krueger, who was Freddy's mom. So she was the nun, locked in with the maniacs, and was raped and, and mothered Freddy.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was, that was kind of a big reveal, and kind of cool. I, I don't know. I didn't see that coming. Did you see that coming the first time?
0: No, I didn't. So, or I can't remember to tell you the truth, but I agree. That is a cool reveal. I think herein are two things I really appreciate about the movie. I think that's a cool aspect. I think it's a cool backstory for Freddy. I like that his mom was actually coming to someone in the visions too to be like, this is how you defeat him. Yeah. And I do, like you said, I, I think it's good that Nancy died. Like it gave this... Some consequence, it gave it some finality, and her dad right. died too, so their whole family is dead, which Just, is yeah. pretty dark, and you can kind of see the hints maybe of yeah. Craven's initial darker story
1: underneath this. Right, right, yeah. Pretty tragic. And I, and I think the fact that uh, Freddie looks like her dad when he kills her plays into like one of the bigger themes of this film that we can discuss later.
0: Okay, yeah, I'm glad you dug in and found some themes because I wasn't really, my mind wasn't really on themes as I was watching. I think sometimes when I'm watching a movie I've seen already, I get a little lazy. Mm, Um, Yeah. So, yeah, and then the very last scene of the film is Dr. Neil asleep next to the popsicle house that Kristen built, and a light turns on in one of the windows in the little house, implying that
1: Freddie is still lurking. Yeah, yeah. Which I like that ending a lot better than the first one where you know at least the characters who are dead are dead and the ones that are alive are alive and freddie may be there and the first one is it was, is it was like yeah is nancy even still alive or right uh what's going on here yeah this is a more conventional ending so to speak yeah right cool man well uh what did you think yeah man i, I think you're gonna be disappointed but overall i i enjoyed this film it was a it was a really surprisingly uh effective story and had some great kills. Freddy actually like looked pretty scary, and like it was pretty taunting in this, and less goofy. None of that like long arm shit or like school bus driving nonsense. Um, and the music I thought like set the stage really well here and complemented the story well. I actually like the characters and the setting a lot. Uh, the characters like felt like very grounded, like all being in this home and like you know struggling with trauma or depression and like trying to rid themselves of this uh, demon that's haunting all of them. And the way they bonded and connected with each other, it, like felt really believable. And uh, I, yeah, I, I like uh, Patricia as a character. Cool to see Nancy come back. Loved the backstory of Freddie. And uh, yeah, I thought the it, it was a pretty fun and well like well paced movie. Wow. All
0: right, man. Good. I'm glad you liked it. I, I don't know why. I was thinking this would, you know, you had a chance with this one, but then as I was like rewriting the plot today, <laughs> I was like, oh, he's not going to like this. Wait,
1: this movie sucks, actually. <laughs> <All> <laughs> right, yeah. oh, well, I think it.
0: that's maybe a reflection of me. Like, just like with the last one we reviewed, I feel like my perception of it came down a notch okay. since, since I first watched it. Yeah. Um, but everything you said, about it reminds me of all the good things and why I do like this movie in general. I think it's a cool cast of characters, even though the acting can be a little bit weak. It is a cool little group, a great premise, and set up for a movie. Um, and I think you're on board with the act, the kiddos. Uh, why am I calling them a kiddos? They're like 17. Great. <laughs> um, I think that... <laughs> This is the best actor in the movie that I was alluding to earlier. Lawrence Fishburne really does, like, he's got a small role, but being the sympathetic orderly, he kind of elevates the movie and he allows us to feel some sympathy for the kids secondhand through him. Like, we, there are a lot of characters in this movie. We don't always spend a ton of time with these kids. But through his interactions with some of them, we feel we get to know them better. We get a sense of the community and connectedness that everybody feels together, even though at the same time they're feeling not understood by some of the adults and Dr. Neal even. But you can see that everyone really does want to help these kids. It's not like your tropey, terrifying psychiatric ward where everyone's treated horribly and trying to escape. There's a sense of community and camaraderie Especially with the nurse. I mean, she's oh. she's helping them out. <laughs> Wait, oh, yeah. There's a sex <laughs> scene between. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's oh, what almost. happens. I, w- I couldn't think of what happened when... um.
1: Who was it that gets pulled away yeah, and ends up in... I think it was Joey. The... He gets yeah. pulled away right. and uh, taken by uh, the nurse in a dream. Right, right. He, Tons, that's when he goes comatose. You know? Yeah. But, um, no. yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I think he does bring, like, a realistic uh, sense of, like, the character of the... Institution. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: think so too. He makes it a bit more human.
1: Yeah. Which, uh, do you feel like, so I, I feel like these movies are really critical of the parents. And if you think about it, like Freddie is a outcome of the parents of these kids and like the, the sins are, well, I I don't know if it's a sin to go after uh, someone who's uh, assaulting children, but, um, yeah, they're paying the price for like what their parents did. Is, uh, Larry Fishburne, his character is like the one. I don't know, maybe, like, the one adult, unless you also consider the doctor, who's, like, actually, like, a good guy, it seems like, in this franchise so far.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, I think Dr. Neil is, too, but, hmm, he's maybe the one adult who listens the most out of everybody, like, and seems to understand the best. Dr. Neil wants to help, but he seems to brush off certain things that don't align with whatever he thinks. Yeah.
1: Um. So, Do yeah. You- you don't think it's weird that, like, Larry never gets pulled into the Freddy drama? Like, actually, I'm surprised, like, he makes it through this film and, like, never really gets, uh, uh, like, stalked by Freddy or attacked.
0: Yeah, I mean, normally he stays away from the grown-ups until, like, the finale if, or if he's, like, in the real world somehow. But, uh, yeah, I like him. I like that he's untouched. I kind of dislike him as a, a point for the characters to bounce some humanity off of back and forth. Sure. Um, yeah, it works. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, honestly, the thing that connects you to the characters, they're, in a way, they're well-written. Like, they all have a thing, you know? They're, with that many characters, you can't give them all, like, a fleshed-out backstory, but we all, we have a little bit of info on all of them. And I think their interactions with each other are how we get to know them. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's
1: not, it's not like uh Lovey-dovey, they like. There's obviously like some friction, some like hostilities, uh, some distance, but there's also like a a sense of like bonding that they're all in this situation together and uh, trying to help each other out.
0: Yeah, Um, and yeah, it's a cool way to bring Nancy back into the fold as far as the franchise as a whole goes. There's some great kills in the movie. I think the weak points that I noticed this time. But it sounds like you might have some counter arguments, and maybe it fits into the theme where this I mean, the performances are weak. But the script, I think, is my biggest beef. Um, like Nancy's entire storyline is rendered totally useless. She's mm. fighting to get them on hypnosil, a drug that she thanks for the fact that she's still alive. And by the end of the movie, I wasn't even entirely sure if the kids ended up going on it or if it hadn't arrived at the hospital yet or what. Um, Oh, yeah. she just You know, that seemed like a pretty important thing, but it went nowhere. Um, She's also blown away by Kristen's powers to suck people into the dream, and she's like, okay, we all have dream powers, but that goes
1: nowhere, too, and they don't really work. Um, Uh, I thought that's the only way that they're all able to be in the dream together is through Kristen's power, like at the end.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. But what at the end, what saves them all and what finally fails Freddy is essentially a side quest, right, by Dr. Neil and Nancy's dad. So I think my complaint with the movie is that, like, Nancy and the teens are the A storyline— And over there's a B storyline, including a character who's barely even in the movie. He's just like a returning guest star almost. Um, But that turns out to be the storyline that matters. Like, It's like the kids are given this tease of agency to defeat their enemy. But they still can't really do shit. They they manage to save Joey. um, But they have to rely on Dr. Neil and Nancy's dad... And Dr. Neal's kind of, like, straddling the edges of main characterdom. (laughs) Like, he's not the main character, but he kind of maybe is, and I don't know, he may get the most screen time. So I feel I would like the movie better if Dr. Neal's character was eliminated and merged with Nancy's character so that she can go on this side quest with her dad after they've gone years without talking. You know, that could have been a pretty important dramatic storyline in the movie but their scene together was like two minutes she's like dad could you tell us this and he's like no and she's like oh fuck i'm going to the hospital and then dr neil and her dad end up spending all the time together it's like well if they're estranged why don't we use that a little bit so i would have liked to see a movie where nancy and her dad are at the junkyard fighting alongside each other reunited uh, against the skeleton and then kristen is taking the lead. She's in more of a leadership role in the dream, and they're all succeeding a little bit more with their powers. I still am cool with, like you said, this is Freddy's domain. You can't really top him with this stuff, but I would have liked to have seen their powers do a little something and have it have him be killed in such a way that like, they've got the upper hand on him, they've got him in a weak point, but the holy water administered by Nancy is the final blow so that it actually is more of a teamwork kill.
1: Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, I think you're right. That would have made a much stronger story and build up the relationship between Nancy and her dad more, uh, made that more emotional. Um, Boy, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously that's a way better plotline. But the one justification for the way they went about it is that yeah there were some positive outcomes with Kristen and Nancy partnering together um because yeah you're right they saved Joey and it showed that all the kids kind of came together to jump in to ultimately I think save um oh Jennifer is that her name? Jennifer Jessica? got killed in the TV. Kristen? Oh what? Well, Kristen yeah sorry <laughs> yeah so uh yeah I, th- I think even though they're all there and yeah their fight was useless Ultimately, I think they were saving uh, two people by like delaying Freddy so that the work on the other side in the real world could uh, uh, happen and ultimately kill Freddy. So I I wouldn't say it was all for nothing, but I agree with you that 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 story that you just described is a much better ending rewrite.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I I may be going a little far and saying that everything they're doing is useless. Good points. Good counterpoints.
1: Um, let's talk about your theme. Oh, yeah. So uh, the one big one, and I think this, I, I actually think this, you can extrapolate this to a lot of other Wes Craven films. And I think we talked about this in the last House on the Left as well. But I think he constantly likes to draw a conflict or division between uh, generations and oftentimes as main characters who are fighting against things that uh, were brought against them from the older generations. So, like, I think Freddy's is an outcome of that. Uh, I would even say uh, scream. Like, a lot of what happens to Cindy is tied back to, like, the actions of her mother. Um, And then Last House on the Left, I forget what it was, but there was something where, like, there was a a culture clash between her and her parents and, like, the killers. So I, I wonder if, like, throughout Wes Craven's work, if there's this dynamic of the role that the older generation plays in kind of uh fucking up the futures of their kids kind of like how a lot of us get criticized today for like all the harm we're doing for the environment and how that's going to mess up generations after us do you, you think there's something there
0: yeah i think that's a great observation yeah you're right we talked about that in the last house on the left episode that is definitely there both the you know right off the bat in that movie her parents are talking about Oh, you kids today, essentially, right? And then a yeah. big part of the villain's whole story is one of them is with their son, and he's just being like a horrible dad, and he's totally fucked up oh, his yeah. kid. So, yeah, right. that's a part of the generation there. Uh, the house or house on Haunted Hill. The Hills Have Eyes is a family. There's some generational dynamics there. And there's also, yeah. I mean, not only with the families who are heroes, but... Uh, isn't, I think like Papa Joop is the son of like the gas station clerk or whatever. Um, oh, yeah. So there's some dynamics there. And there's also kind of what the generation before in that area and the town did to the people who were living there. Can't remember if that's in the mm-hmm. original two or just in the remake um, with like nuclear testing and stuff. Mm-hmm.
1: But oh, right. Yep. That's a really good point. A really good point. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that uh, seems to be, like, a theme in a lot of his work. Um, and, yeah, like, so who is the real evil in these? Because um, even in this movie, like, there's a scene early on where they're talking about the theories on, like, why these kids are killing themselves. Some are blaming, um, oh, oh, I think it was Lawrence Fishburne, Fishburne who's like, uh, the parents all took acid in, like, the 60s, and that's why these kids are so messed up. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of commentary here around uh, how the real villains might be parents right and one of the older women who
0: works at the hospital says it's the sex drugs and the rock and roll that's leading them to these suicides exactly um exactly yeah this generational misunderstanding people under the stairs is about a kid versus some evil grown-ups um i think there's some generational maybe fatherhood son father and son themes in Deadly Blessing, which I recently watched. All right. I think you're onto something. Mm. Okay. Cool. Well done, man.
1: Yeah. Hey, thanks. And then uh, Freddy and his representation. What do you think? Is he actually there or is he just childhood uh, trauma, depression being represented as a monster?
0: I think he's actually there. I think both. I think he's actually there, but I think that that theme, uh,
1: that metaphor works. Okay. Lastly, cool, man. yeah, not much of a theme, but a weakness of the film that I think you forgot to mention. Let's deal with the hat, man? Just one one plausible explanation. <laughs>
0: why? Why is he wearing Wes hat? Craven saw a creepy dude on his street with that hat on, and he put it in the design.
1: All right, but oh yeah, outside of the Wes Craven's idea for it, if you're Freddy Krueger and you do this uh, thing where you assaulted kids, then you died. And now you're back from the dead, and you're haunting kids in their dreams. Why are you wearing a hat? Is it sunny? I mean, I would imagine
0: the wind on your burnt scalp might hurt a little bit. Maybe the hat is a little bit of protection. Oh. My theory was it got burnt to his scalp, but we see him with it off too much for that theory to work. Yeah,
1: <laughs> right, right.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's Maybe a, he it's... just likes the hat, man. He died... With the hat on his head, he doesn't have much to his name.
1: <laughs> it's his hat. That's just I his get hat. attached to my hats. Yeah, yeah. But like, say if you died and you were like coming back and haunting kids, would you bring that hat with you? Yeah, sure. Why not? Really, you think you think it would like add to your your goal of scaring and killing kids?
0: Yeah, it's my look. I okay. hey, mean, I mean, we've talked about the hat before, just in general in horror as being modeled after um, oh, what London After Midnight, the the villain in that movie, and the Babadook takes that look as well. It's oh, not yeah. quite a fedora. It's more of a top hat, but yeah, I think there's a long tradition
1: of creepy hats in horror. I agree. Creepy hats are, like, work, and uh, I thought uh, even as recently as, like, the black phone, like, that was a really cool creepy hat. A fedora, though, I don't feel like falls into creepy hat territory. That's more like... Indiana Jones, or like you're vacationing out on the beach. Indiana Jones doesn't wear a fedora, that's true. He doesn't wear a fedora. Is Freddy's truly? I think a you're letting
0: modern hipsters go back in time and ruin Nightmare on Elm
1: Street. <laughs> for that's what's happening.
0: <laughs> I mean, think
1: that's totally what's happening. It's the hipsters who are to blame. <laughs> all right, yeah, maybe, maybe you're right. Yeah, I just, I mean, yeah, it's so hard to take him seriously when he's wearing that for some reason, but all right, man. That was the only other weakness I thought we should call out. All right. Well, in a
0: way, I'm comforted that you continue to struggle with the hat, but I'm glad that it seems you liked this movie overall. So with that in mind, zero to five ineffective dream
1: powers, what do you give this movie? Uh, I think I go three and a half ineffective dream powers. Uh, It was a fun watch, and I I was pretty bought into the characters and had a good time watching it. How about you?
0: All right. Cool. Well, you're more optimistic than we expected. I'm less optimistic than we expected, but we meet in the same place. 3.5 out of 5 for me as well. Oh,
1: nice. nice. Came down from the 4. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, yeah, I wonder how uh, it'll continue. Like, will it continue going down for you, or you think this is a good ground? I think the next film may go up in
0: my mind mm. versus last time, because it kind of really... It leans into some silliness. I think that you will not like it as much because it gets <laughs> silly. Gets silly. All right. But I think we got to go. Now that you like this one, I think we can't jump ahead. I think we got to go to four now. All right. All right. Cool. I'm excited. Cool. I think too. Well, that is our episode on uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors, everybody. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, you can give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to get more of us, you can go to HorrorMovieClub.com and click on the big orange button for Patreon to gra- gain access to bonus content for a dollar a month. Uh, let's see. That website, HorrorMovieClub.com, also has a social links drop down where you can find Facebook and Twitter links. That's where we tell you what we're going to be covering next week. There's also a link there for our Discord server where we're chatting every day. At least I am wasting my time talking to a bunch of you listeners. (laughs) Uh, It's quite a great community there. I say wasting time, but I think we all really value that community. So if you're looking for people to come talk horror with, find that link on our website, horrormovieclub.com. If you want some swag, a lot of people have been asking about T-shirts lately. We should probably get on that. But for now, uh, just Google Horror Movie Club Coaster Set That'll take you to a coaster set uh, with our logo designed by Amy May Pop Art. On her website, she also has a lot of other great horror art. So pick out some other stuff while you're there. And until next time, if someone tries to tell you your dream powers are enough to defeat an immortal demon, you might just want to pump the brakes on that and uh, check on the status of that Hypnosil order instead.
1: (laughs) It's on its way. (laughs) I'm going to be here tomorrow. Yeah.